Well, I love Epiphany. Uh, I love Epiphany, and if I ever was to be able to choose the name of a church, which is not going to happen because my potential church planting days are long gone, but if I was, I would choose Epiphany. I mean, it has resonances both outside and inside the church. I mean, think about it. Like, people outside the church talk a lot about having an epiphany, that, that they come to an awareness of, of something, right? And even if that's not the case, if you walked in here and you're not familiar with the church calendar or you're not familiar with, with epiphany, um, you at least probably are familiar with Taylor Swift, right? And you have heard her song, Epiphany. And if you haven't, I'm sorry as a Swiftie. Man, that went off way better in my head. <laughs> anyway. In the church, though, uh, Epiphany is the time where we celebrate either the coming of the Magi to Jesus, those uh, men that came from the East who were Gentiles, non-Jews who came to Jesus, or we celebrate, uh, celebrate Jesus' baptism or we mark Jesus' baptism. Because both those points are about Jesus going public. He went public to the nations with the coming of the Magi. And he went public to Jerusalem and Judea with his public ministry at his baptism. And what Epiphany reminds us is that Jesus, who he is and what he does, it was always meant to go public. And that's what our passage is really about today. As we look at the ministry of John the Baptist and are introduced to him in the Gospel of John So as we look at that, let me pray for us. Lord, as we open your word now, would you open our eyes? And would you open up our hearts that we might be receptive to the glory of Jesus as he comes presented in this word. We ask this for his name's sake. Amen. Well, John the Baptist, what do you know about John the Baptist? Maybe you know that he was kind of an eccentric character. He lived out in the desert. He ate locusts and wild honey, not a bad diet. He he dressed kind of funny with sackcloth and such. if you were to turn to the Gospel of John, the first thing that, that, that the Gospel of John wants us to know about John the Baptist when it introduces him in verse 6, as early as verse 6, is that John is a witness. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and the Gospel wastes no time at telling us what his purpose was. Verse 7, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Now, in case you didn't get the point, at the very beginning, when, when John, or this gospel, inserts this figure, John the Baptist, in the middle of an introduction about Jesus, in case you didn't get the point, four times in this prologue, we're told explicitly that John is a witness. And his first words confirm this. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, this is the testimony of John, or a more consistent translation. This is the witness of John. And what is his witness? This is the witness of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Here's his witness. You ready for it? Verse 20, 
he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Who are you? It's fascinating how he answers that question. I mean, if somebody were to ask you or me uh, who we are, uh, I'm sure you would probably say something. I mean, I would say like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm from the South. I uh, have red hair. I, um, you know, I like Taylor Swift. I would say these things that are positive about me and who I am, right? I would make some positive statements about my relationship to people and where I live and that kind of thing. But John, he doesn't make any positive statements about himself. He starts with a negative. I am not. I am not the Christ. Now that is interesting. To understand the significance of these words, we need to know something about what it means, what he's saying when he says he is not the Christ. See, for over 400 years, the Jewish people had been waiting on a promise, a promise that God had given through his prophets that he was going to bring a king, a leader, who would deliver the people of Israel and bring about universal salvation, righteousness, and justice across the world. And they were waiting in anticipation for this figure. Now, kings in ancient Israel, they were anointed. And, and the word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which just means anointed one. It was like an honorific, an honorific for this person who was to come. Uh, but they were not just looking for a Christ, an anointed one. They were looking for the Christ, the anointed one. And so John says, it's not me. The first thing out of his mouth when he bears witness is he says, it's not me. This is the witness of John. He confessed and he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Here's what the gospel is telling us, as clear as it can, that integral to John's witness, remember John is a witness, integral to John's witness was to say as clearly as possible that he is not the Christ. You know, a large part of bearing witness to Jesus who he is and what he has done is to bear witness to the fact that we are not Jesus. And that is significant for us because the last words that Jesus said before he ascended on high to his church was, you are my witnesses. See, we stand in the same place as John. And so integral to bearing witness to Jesus is to be as clear as possible that we are not Jesus. But that's not easy. Look at verse 20. Notice how verse 20 puts it. He confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. Notice the emphasis. He confessed. He did not deny, but he confessed. Why does the gospel writer put such emphasis on the fact that John did not deny this fact, but he confessed? He confessed. He did not deny, but he confessed. I am not the Christ. Because the gospel writer knows how tempting it would have been 
for John to say, I am the Christ. You have to understand, in the first century, John was a rock star. Hordes of people were coming out to hear his preaching. And what was he preaching? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, so popular was John in his preaching that we find that there's this delegation sent from Jerusalem in verse 19. Look, it talks about the Jews who sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He was causing such a ruckus that the Jews in Jerusalem, and when this gospel says the Jews in Jerusalem, it means the upper echelons. This would be like saying the White House or the Vatican sent a delegation to ask John, who do you think you are? And what do you think you're doing? That's how popular John was. And what was he preaching? He was preaching the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. And thousands of people were believing him. So if he said at that moment, and I am the king who's bringing this kingdom, I have no doubt that hordes of people would have said, yes, you are the Christ. You know, when you're really good at something, when people acknowledge that you're good at something, especially when that something is helping people, when you're making an impact in this world, it can be easy to believe either that you are the Christ or that you're supposed to do the work of the Christ. Now, we don't use those words, and maybe you're coming in here and you're not even from a Christian background and you don't use those words, but you know what it's like to feel like you have to be the man. You have to be the chosen one, the Savior. Like things are up to you. Sometimes this temptation is born out of ego. Either we just have such a big ego, or over time, we start hearing the accolades of people and believing our own best press that we think, you know, if God's going to do something significant in the world, then he's going to do it through me. But other times this temptation is born out of a deep concern and care for people. I mean, we love people. And we're concerned about the world. And we love them and we're so concerned about the world that, that we think, you know, somebody has to help. And somebody has to do something. And, and, and I need to do something. And, and if I don't do something, then it's going to fall apart. Then nothing's going to happen. In either case, though, whether this temptation is born out of ego or it's born out of care and concern, we believe that if something's going to happen, it's going to have to happen through us. I'm sure John knew that temptation, which is why I think it's so striking that he confessed and he did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ 
Jesus is the Christ. What would it look like for us to bear witness, to confess, to not deny, but to confess that we are not the Christ, but Jesus is the Christ? Well, let's think a little bit about about what it means that Jesus is the Christ. The first thing that, that it means, according to John, is that Jesus is God's remedy for sin. In verse 29, the first time Jesus appears on the scene in the narrative and he approaches John the Baptist, John says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the first time Jesus appears in the historical narrative. And the first time he appears, John says, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In other words, this is God's provision for sin. He is the one who is to bear away sin. And John is definitive about it. He uses five definite articles. If you're not a grammarian, ask your middle schoolers. They will tell you. He he is not just a lamb of God, but he is the lamb of God. He's not just a lamb of any God or some God. He He is the lamb of the God, the only God. He is the Lamb of the God who takes away not just some sins, but the sin, the root sin. And he is not just the Lamb of the only God who takes away all the sin of some parts of the world. He is the only Lamb of God. The only Lamb of the only God. The only Lamb of the only God who takes away all of the sin of the entire world. In other words, what John is saying is that Jesus, Jesus is God's remedy for sin. And at least one of the things he implies when he says, I am not the Christ, is he is implying, I am not God's remedy for sin. Jesus is. You know, when you get into relationships with people, especially when you start developing intimacy and vulnerability with people, they will start to flash you. What I mean by that is that they will start to show you brief hints of the ways in which they struggle and wrestle with guilt and shame. Maybe it's a self-deprecating comment. Maybe it's a note of comparison with someone else in their neighborhood or at work. Uh, Maybe it's the way that they, they beat themselves up over the past. And when that happens... When someone starts acknowledging their inadequacy before us, the temptation that we have is that because we care, we want to run in and say, if I could just convince this person that that's not true, that, that I love them, if I could just convince this person that, 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 that they're accepted by me, if I could just say the right words in the right way at the right time, then I could assuage their guilt and cover their shame. We think that somehow we can take other people's sin away. 
but we cannot. We are not the Christ. Jesus is the, the Christ. We can't take other people's sin away, and we can't take our own sin away either. I mean, what happens when you fail? What's the narrative in your head? What do you start doing? What happens when your past haunts you? I uh, threw my back out at the gym yesterday. Again, I'm very grateful to God that I'm standing here right now. I got home. Watch out. That's, that's back problems. Uh, I got home, and, uh, and there was two baskets of laundry sitting on my bed. And I thought to myself, man, me throwing my back out and acting this way and not taking care of myself, it's going to put my wife and my daughter in such a detrimental state because I'm not going to be able to fulfill my responsibilities. And so I start to think, if I could just make up for that some way, even a little bit. So what I did is I sat there and I stood and I started doing laundry, folding it ferociously as my back is cramping up. There's pain going down my hips. And you know what? The more pain I had, the more I thought, it's working. Because it hurts. And if it hurts, then I'm paying for it. Then somehow I can make up for the fact that my wife's going to have to put on my shoes tomorrow. Literally. Somehow I can make up for the fact that I can't get the, laundry, uh, the garbage and bring it up anymore. Somehow I'm going to make up for the fact that, that I can't undo the dishwasher. And so what I'm going to do is I am going to put myself through this pain and this suffering because I am going to pay penance for my sin. It's not just me, is it? What about you? See, what ways do you take on and act like somehow, some way, that you are the Christ and that you can, through your sacrifice, make up for your own sin or someone else's sin? That you can assuage your guilt, that by making amends or by beating yourself up enough emotionally, somehow, some way, you can assuage your guilt, you can cover your shame, you can bear away the sin of the world. It's not your job. It's not my job. Our job is to say, behold, look, Jesus, he's the one. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He can remove your guilt. He can cover your shame. He can give you peace Peace with God that results in an internal peace. I can't do it. He can do it. That's how we bear witness. That's how we say the first way, I am not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the one who takes away the sin of the world. But there's a second way. Next we find out that Jesus as the Christ is, is God's transforming power. Look at verse 32. Verse 32 says that John bears witness again. He's bearing witness now. And what does he say? 
I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him, referring to Jesus. Now, that might sound strange to you, the Spirit descending like a dove and remaining on Jesus. But you need to know that John the Baptist has the book of Isaiah in his head. You say, how do you know that? Because I'm psychic. No, that's not how I know it. I know it because verse 23 tells us. John refers to Isaiah explicitly. And throughout the book of Isaiah, we read that when God brings his anointed one, his Christ, when he sends him, he's going to pour the Spirit out on him and it will remain on him so that he can bring about universal flourishing, righteousness, justice. Let me give you some examples. For instance, Isaiah 42.1, Behold my servant upon whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Or Isaiah 61, The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, Christ, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives. John says, this person is Jesus, verse 32. I saw the Spirit descend on, from heaven like a dove, on, and it remained on him. And then verse 33, he goes on, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Translation, the Christ is the one who brings God's transforming power and presence into other people's lives and into this world. So another implication of what John is saying when he says, I am not the Christ, is he is saying, I am not God's transformative presence and power in this world. Back in 2007, there was a 23-year-old musician who developed hiccups. He was out of the United Kingdom. He was hiccuping every couple seconds, and it was uh, occurring for years. Uh, he actually was brought on to um, a, a show. It was like a radio program or TV show. I forget which one. And, and they're interviewing about this. And he's had hiccups for years and hiccups every couple seconds. I mean, it totally torpedoed his music career. He couldn't sing. He couldn't play. He said, how I just wanted to, to play the piano again and to play the guitar and to sing. But he couldn't because of these hiccups. And he talked about the experience of over the years, you know, every time that someone would see him with hiccups and find out he had hiccups, you know what they'd do. Have you tried the brown bag? Like breathing into it for 10 seconds, you know? Yeah, yeah, I've tried the brown bag. I've had this for years. Have you, have you drank water upside down? Have you tried doing that? Yeah, yeah, I've tried drinking water upside down. Have you gotten someone to scare you, like gone into a haunted house or something? Yeah, yeah, I've, I've had this for years. Uh, turns out a, a neuro neurologist was listening in and said, I, I think you might have a tumor. The radio broadcast sent him to Japan. There's a specialist outfit there. And sure enough, they found out that he had some tumor that was affecting his brain and causing him to have hiccups. You know... What hiccups are you trying to resolve that only Jesus can fix?
Because sometimes I think that we are like, like those people giving the advice. You know, people will come to you. People come to me. And they come with problems, deep problems. And they're hurting. And they need change. They need transformation in their life. People will come to you and, and, and they'll come to you in their loneliness. And you'll say, have you tried a brown bag? Have you tried just breathing in a brown bag? Or maybe they'll come to you and, and with frustration over uh, their marriage and their hurting and they want you or someone to fix their spouse. And you're like, have you tried forcing your spouse to drink water upside down? Or, or maybe they, they come to you with their, their child. It's their rebellious teenager, right? This never happens. And, and they come to you because you're a youth leader, right? And, and you say, have you tried jumping out of a bush and scaring, you know, the living daylights out of them? I think oftentimes we're like those people trying to give advice, to cure the pickups that only Jesus can cure. You and I cannot be and do for people what only Jesus can be and do for them. Try as we may. And that is a hard lesson because we care, because they're hurting. But we can't change them. We can't change ourselves. Only Jesus can. It, some of you need to hear this because, because you have a heart for justice and righteousness. And the injustices of society pain you. And so you want to see justice for the poor, economic justice. You, you want to see justice lived out in the environment, environmental justice. You, you, want to see, you want to see justice for the, for the fatherless and for the sojourner in, in race relations. You want to see justice and, and, and you think, I'm going to get out there and, and I'm going to bring the kingdom. You and I don't bring the kingdom. We bear witness to the God who is bringing the kingdom. Our role is a sign and witness our role is to say, I saw the Holy Spirit and it remained on him. And he baptizes in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, but Kyle, aren't we supposed to help? Aren't we supposed to, to counsel and to care and to pray and to love and to serve? Aren't we supposed to bring meals? Aren't we supposed to weep with people? Absolutely. But the question is, is in all of our ministry, what are we doing? What did John think that he was doing? You know, John the Baptist's ministry was encapsulated in one word, baptism. That summarized his ministry. What did John think that he was doing when he was baptizing? Look at verse 31. For this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he, that is Jesus, might be revealed to Israel. John says, all of my ministry, the whole thing is to bear witness. 
is to point away from myself to the one who actually is God's transformative power in the world, the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, the one who can immerse you in the life-giving, life-changing presence and power of God. And so, what we do when we serve a meal for Jesus' sake, what we do when we are recycling, what we do when we, when we preach and when we pray, what we do is we are being a sign and a witness to the kingdom that God has brought, is bringing, and will bring about. That's what we're doing. That's our role. And all of our efforts should therefore be aimed at pointing people away from us and towards Jesus. I am not the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Which leads to my last point. John's witness, we can see that Jesus was the Christ, is shown in the fact that he bore witness that Jesus is God's remedy for sin, that Jesus is God's transforming power, but also and finally that Jesus is God's glorious presence among us. In verses 35 through 37, the passage that we'll look at next week, right after this one, uh, it's the next day and Jesus comes up again and John has two disciples with him. And John says, behold the Lamb of God. And you know what those disciples do? They up and leave John and start following Jesus. These were disciples of John. Now, to be a disciple of someone in the ancient world meant that you were coming and you were saying, I want to give myself over to your teaching, to your way of life, like everything about you, I want to model my life on. Now, when you have people, like hordes of people that come to you and they say, I want to be like you, like when I was a kid, you know, it was, I want to be like Mike, right? Everybody knows who Mike is? Michael Jordan, right? If you don't know that, I'm sorry. So... I want to be like Mike. It was like, I want to be like John. I mean, when you have people coming to you and saying, I want to be like you, uh, I hear it's a really flattering thing. I would never know how that feels. But some of you know how that feels. John has these people coming to him and they're saying, we want to stake our lives on your life. And then they up and turn like. And you know what John does? He didn't get upset. He doesn't matter that, that his popularity is decreasing. He doesn't, he doesn't get upset that people are, are turning away from him, that he isn't getting as much fanfare. He doesn't care. Why? Well, look at what he says about Jesus in verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. There's so much in those words. This is he of whom I've said, after me comes a man. Jesus was a man, a historical man who lived in time and space. You can go, actually, that means you can go investigate his claims and historical evidence about who he was. But John says that Jesus is no mere man. He says, a man who ranks before me because he was before me. You might be thinking, well, John is talking about birth order, but you need to know that John was born before Jesus. So what does he mean when he said that he ranks before me because he was before me? He's saying what what the gospel has introduced us to at the beginning of the prologue, 
that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Nothing was made that has been made without Him. That He is God of God and light of light. John is saying Jesus is the Word, and I'm just a voice. You know, when John finally has a conversation uh, and he, he gives three negatives when people ask, who do you say, who are you? He's like, I'm not the Christ. I'm not a prophet. I'm not this. I'm not that. Finally, they're like, well, we got to tell them something. We got to tell the Vatican something. We got to tell the White House something. So, so what are we going to tell them? Verse 23, I'm a voice. I'm a voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. I'm not the word, I'm just a voice. I'm not the point, I'm the pointer. I'm not the sovereign, I am the servant. There's, there's a show that is called The Worst Jobs in History. It was on 20 years ago or something in the UK. There was another iteration in America uh, that was called Dirty Jobs or Somebody's Got to Do It. But that one actually, like, they, they wouldn't allow it to be on because the jobs on there are not, like, they're not appropriate even to talk about most of them in, in church. Um, I'll, I'll name a couple of them, you know, just to ruin your lunch. Uh, one of them was a leech collector in history. You know, because when they used to let blood with leeches... You'd have to go out and you'd have to get the leeches. So they had these leech collectors that would go out and le collect leeches. Uh, another one was basically someone who, who dug out the, uh, the retrieves, uh, retrains and cisterns and that kind of thing and, and refilled them, right? I mean, these are, these are awful jobs. You know what I think? kind of modern day. I don't know what you think the worst job would be. You know what I think one of the worst jobs might be? <laughs> have you ever seen, like, I know you have, you're driving along and then you get stopped because there's road work being done. And there's these crews and they're working on the road. And there's that one guy. And he just sits there with the sign. Stop. Slow. Stop. Slow. You can go. All day long. Like, it'd be one thing if you were getting to cut the trees and things like that or that, but what if you're the guy that all you do is sit there and you're just like directing traffic? You're pointing people. And then what happens? You think people in line are like, I appreciate you. I so appreciate that you just stopped me on my way to work because you know what? I've been complaining. I was just complaining at breakfast this morning that no road work is being done and the roads are awful. And so I am so thankful that you were out here stopping me on my way to work. That is not what we do. That is not what we do. Right? And I think, man, that is a, that is a necessary job. That is a very important job. But that would be a tough job all day to just, the only thing that you do is just that way that way. That was John's job. That is your job. That is my job. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. 
I am not the Christ. And John, he thought that it was a job that he wasn't even worthy of. He was in awe of it. Look at verses 26 and 27. Read these words with me. John says, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. The lowest job in the ancient society to wash feet and undo sandals. The job that was reserved for people who weren't Roman citizens and people who weren't Jews. Jews didn't allow their own to do it. Romans didn't allow their own to do it. No, only slaves. And John says, I am unworthy to do that job in Jesus' service. Because John knew that Jesus is God's glorious presence among us, and so he stood in awe. And it didn't bother him one whit that Jesus was getting all the glory. There's a pastor and seminary professor named Gordon Hugenberger. He taught for a long time at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. He also was the pastor at the historic Park Street, Baptist, or Park Street Church in uh, Boston. Gordon Hugenberger tells the story about how he went to a youth retreat when he was in high school. He wasn't a Christian at the time, and he was invited by friends, and he found himself on this youth retreat. Gordon Hugenberger was a pretty smart dude. Uh, he had a couple PhDs and uh, went to Harvard and that kind of thing. And uh, that showed forth when he was in high school because the whole weekend he was debating with this counselor about who Jesus was. And, and at one point as he's debating with this Christian counselor at this youth retreat, he's talking to him and he flippantly says, well, hey, how do you know that Jesus is the Christ? What if I'm the Christ? And at that point, the counselor just stopped. And he didn't utter a word, and he saw his face drop, and his countenance drop. And then he saw tears start to stream down the counselor's face. And he was so upset and so sad that he couldn't speak a word, and he turned around, and he just walked straight out of the cabin. And Gordon Hugenberger said, if that man thinks that highly of Jesus, I got to find out who Jesus is. Integral to our witness is to say we are not the Christ. But Jesus is the Christ. And to honor him. You know, if you've been a Christian for enough time, sometimes the passion and the sense of awe and wonder over who Jesus is, it can wane. Maybe you're here and you've never felt that passion before. You don't know what all the fuss is about. What's with all the singing 
and the shouting and the responding? What's with all the giving? Can I just say that this is a great day on Epiphany Sunday to pray that God might give you an epiphany about the majesty and the wonder and the awe-filled glory of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. Let me pray for us. God, give us Jesus in all that he is. Show us how great the Lamb of God is who takes away the sin of the world. Bring us to our knees before his awesome glory. May we decrease and he increase. We pray all this for his name's sake and for our own good. Amen.